Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? This is a very natural kind of question, isn't it? We ask it in various ways throughout our lives. Take, for example, our professional lives. Is this the college I should choose? Now, those of you who know me know I have my own personal opinions about that matter, but we'll save that for another conversation. Is this the career path I should follow? Is this the company I should work for? Likewise, in our personal lives, we ask things like, is this person a friend I should have? Is this person someone I should date? Could this person be someone I should marry? How much more then in our spiritual lives where nothing less than eternity is at stake? With so many so-called paths to enlightenment and so many so-called spiritual gurus and guides, we are right to ask, is Jesus really the one to come or should we look for another? And let's be clear, in the text this morning, when John the baptizer asked this question, this was not some theoretical exercise or philosophical pondering. John did not have that luxury. John was in prison. John was about to be put to death in the most gruesome of ways. John was about to be beheaded. And if this is not the kind of thing you were hoping to hear about in this joyful Advent season, let's take a minute to walk a mile in John's shoes this morning and see exactly why we should be talking about this kind of thing in Advent. Last week, you recall, we read that John the baptizer was in the desert, and he was calling all of Israel to participate in a baptism of repentance, to change their minds. He was urging them to prepare the way for the Lord himself was drawing near. And in hindsight, we certainly have to say that John's ministry was wildly successful. For the text tells us that all of Israel came out to the desert confessing their sins and being baptized by John. But let's also consider this even more incredible event that took place in the midst of these things. John baptized Jesus. Think of that. John baptized Jesus. The very Son of God who needed no baptism asked John to baptize him to fulfill all righteousness. And as he does this, imagine this, a voice from heaven declares, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased with him. And what should we say about all of this? Well, the first thing we might say is that John was certainly betting the farm on Jesus. John was, in fact, declaring that Jesus is the one to come. Second, he was telling all of Israel that they should do the exact same thing, that they too should bet the farm on Jesus as the one to come. Thirdly, think of this. You might think that this voice from heaven was enough. 
Shouldn't one booming voice from heaven be enough to convince John that Jesus is the one? Only it's never quite that simple, is it? And it's never quite that easy, maybe especially when your life is on the line. And why is John's life now on the line? Simply because John continued to stand up for Jesus. In fact, what got him in trouble was that he went toe-to-toe with King Herod. He publicly called King Herod out for stealing another man's wife. Now, maybe that's not the best way to win friends and influence enemies. On the other hand, maybe it is. It all depends on which king you're serving. You see, when we conform ourselves, when we conform ourselves to the patterns of this world, we find ourselves making perilous moral compromises. Get along to go along. Don't rock the boat. Scratch my back and I'll scratch your back and so on and so forth. But when we sign up to serve King Jesus, the standards are immutable and unchangeable. In the kingdom of God, things like truth and justice and righteousness and holiness are absolute. God does not change the rules for us. God does not change the rules on us. We are the ones who change for God. And lest we fear what those changes might be, whether we are trading fun and freedom for slavery and servitude, let me remind us that we are all going to serve some kind of God one way or another. Either we will fall into the slavery of the insatiable and empty God of self, lusting and lunging after worldly things that can never satisfy our souls, groping and grabbing for more and more, even as we find ourselves with less and less, or or we will surrender ourselves to the joyful servanthood of the one true and living God, who offers us himself that we might find true freedom in him by his merits and his mercies. Freedom from this demonic slavery to self and salvation from sin and eternal death apart from him. Now think of this. Now John has come to the critical juncture of his own personal trial. And in that way, we find in him both an image of ourselves and a question that is asked by all of humanity. For as John stands on the very precipice of eternity, coming face to face now with his own mortality, just as we must all face our own mortality, friends, this is the question that John the baptizer is now asking, did I get it right? Did I get it right? And maybe now, in a very sympathetic way, we can see John standing there in his prison cell. Just as we find ourselves in our own spiritual prison cells from time to time, 
filled with the doubts and the fears and the uncertainties and the anxieties that each and every one of us has from time to time? Can you see the look of desperation in his eyes? Can you hear the sense of urgency that's in his voice with his fate now sealed and his eternal destiny now on the line as he grips the cold iron bars with his worn leathery hands and cries out to his friends on behalf of all of us, go and ask him. Go and ask him. Are you, Jesus, the one who is to come? Did I get it right? Or should we look for another? And now, my friends, I want us to notice what John's friends do. They neither dismiss him, nor do they diminish his concern And importantly, they do not stand there and try to reason with him from their own human understanding. This is what they do. They do what we would expect a good disciple to do. They go straight to Jesus. And and when they get to Jesus, what is it that Jesus does? Jesus reminds them And in reminding them, Jesus reassures all of them. The blind receive their sight. The lame can walk again. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf can hear. Even the dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. And then, and then, Jesus does this. Don't miss this. Jesus commissions them. Go back. Go back and tell John all that you have seen and heard. Tell John the truth. Testify to the signs of my presence among you. And if this is starting to sound a little bit like the church, let me say it plainly. This is the church. After all, isn't this exactly why we're here this morning? reminding and reassuring one another of God's love for each and every one of us by studying the Scriptures together, testifying to the truth of how Jesus Christ has changed us, has transformed us, has redeemed us, how He has delivered each and every one of us from our own darkness and death to His light, to His life, and to His love. And even more in that, Even more than that, he has given us these sacraments of the church to remind us of his ongoing, sure and certain presence among us even right now. You see, my friends, their commission is our commission When we are hurting, when we see someone else who is hurting, the task is clear, the job is simple. Get ourselves and get them to Jesus as fast as we possibly can. Reading from our Bibles to be reminded and to be reassured that we can trust Jesus at his word, even in and maybe especially in our most difficult times of trial. For I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 1. And as we do these things, my friend, this is what the Bible says stirs us up to love and good works all the more as we see the day approaching. Why? So that when we, like John, are called to take our stand before the councils of this age and speak the truth in love before the principalities and powers of this present darkness, we will neither be ashamed nor will we be afraid to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. I'm about to get Baptist on you. There's power in the name of Jesus to move every mountain, and there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we may be saved, period. And now, my friends, in this, our own season of Advent, as we prepare for the Lord to come again, only this time to judge the living and the dead, and because we still need reminders and reassurances during our own times of trial, let me finally offer these simple words, my friends. If you are hurting, if you are hurting, this is the place to come. If you are confused, this is the place to receive counsel and comfort. And if you are lost, this is where to find the light of God's love and not just because I say so or Charles says so, but because Jesus Christ himself tells us so. He is the head, and we are his body. Why? Because Jesus is the one to come, and we need not look for another, not now, not ever again. Should we look for another? No. Because Jesus is the one to come. Jesus is the one to come.